Welcome, welcome to another Frame Rate, the podcast where we rate frames. I'm Abe Epperson, one of the co-hosts of this show, and I'm along with my other co-host, Speak. Michael Swaim, sir. And I just got uh, that. Rate okay, frames. Cool. That's good. The old switch. Yeah, Yo, you just got the the joke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who I don't even know who wrote that joke. It just has always existed. Yeah, I um, believe we found it carved at the bottom of the sea and we stole it. But just so we can make sure that because we know uh, our guest has a little uh, has a quirk that he doesn't like to speak in podcasts until his name is said. I don't uh-huh. know why. It's Beetlejuice. Just a thing. Beetlejuice. It's probably. Beetlejuice. It's probably. A, my guess is it's probably a sex thing. And since I have him. <laughs> Quiet right now. It's I can say what I want, but yeah, introduce yourself, guests. Who's joining us? Who are you? Say my name, Abe. <laughs> oh God, damn it! This is Daniel O'Brien. Oh, friend. you were right. It is a sex thing, and you're part of it, and that's <laughs> that makes it more sexual to me. Like I like that you know about it. It used to just be. I do. It used to just be an internal thing, and now you're part of it. Now you're part now of the sex all, thing. Great. Now we're all complicit. <laughs> Hey, that's only a half truth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome back, man. It's always good to have you on this place. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Last time we had you on, you had killed 75 fish. How many fish have you killed since then? (laughs) Oh, man, not as much. I would say uh, I caught a whole lot more sharks than I'd I'd ever anticipated in my life. Tiny sharks, like sand sharks, dog sharks that you get yeah. out on the East Coast. Uh, and you don't keep those. So I didn't kill them. I just caught them and threw them back. Meanwhile, I'm just catching a lot of fucking porgies. A lot of scud, as we call them. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, I thought por- porgy was a dog. Are you are you fishing at the dog beach? Because that's not cool. Yeah, no, no. I mean, but like, it's so easy to catch them. You just like yeah, put exactly. treats on there and you're like, come. And they're like well-trained dogs. They just hop right on it, you know? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm never going to correct my knowledge on that. So great. Um, <laughs> we'll get, yeah, go well, ahead. today I'm going to segue because this has been enough banter. I enjoy you guys, but I'm here to do something. It's exactly and, the right amount of banter. <laughs> yeah, exactly the right amount. So today we're uh, jumping into the 2010 film uh, directed and co-written by Edgar Wright. We're real big fans. The mm-hmm. film Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, yeah. So first off, before we dip into like all the things we want to talk about, uh, when was the first time you saw this film, Daniel? I, I first saw this movie. Uh, or do you, do you need me to say film? No. Okay. I first saw this movie. <laughs> I first saw this big long sketch. This little skit uh, <laughs> on like an early Friday afternoon maybe friday morning uh i should have been at work but i wasn't it was the opening weekend and i just really wanted to see it and i saw it with our mutual friend lisa marie king because she was free that day oh yeah i was like i want to blow off work and like i want to see this movie as soon as possible for me so we saw like a 10 30 a.m showing uh in santa monica and i feel like 10 seconds into that movie I turned to her and I was like, I'm having such a good time. I immediately loved right. this movie. I saw it as soon right. as possible, loved it. The movie ended and we got up and hugged each other, which is not a normal <laughs> thing that you do at the end of a movie, but it was just like two people who had a really great time. It was like, I have so much joy and I don't know how to express it. And I'm going to use my body to do it, I guess. And <laughs> that was my first experience with this movie. And I'd seen it many times since then where I didn't, uh, touch anybody afterwards <laughs> and Did that's progress you, and that's progress yeah i'm glad you said and then uh, uh o'brien and the kings your two-person band la- lasted what five six weeks <laughs> that was an yeah. interesting period. Uh, o'brien yeah. and the kings we prefer the okays the okays, the okays. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you really sold out is something i want to make say you, you feel okay uh uh, did you guys know going into this film about like how much did you know about the comic book? Like, uh, where you, had you read it, uh, um, or actually, was it just like, it, oh, it's based on it? It's considered a manga. It's considered okay. an English language manga, but um, yeah. that's all yeah. I know about it. Enough to man, be that stuff. I try to, to be friends. the most insufferable person <laughs> on a podcast, and my, I, I got my work cut out for me. Good luck, dude. <laughs> yeah. um, I. I knew nothing about it, and then when I saw the trailer for it, because at this point uh, I was an Edgar Wright fan forever. Yeah. Like there's there's nothing he could he could do wrong. Like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. I think it was you guys who introduced me to 
uh, spaced. spaced. And yeah. then I'd reach a certain point that was like, no matter what he does, it's right, it's correct. I'm a fan. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the right thing to do. So when I saw the preview for Scott Pilgrim, I already knew I'm going to see this movie because it's Edgar Wright. Uh, and then I went and got the comics after the first trailer came out and, and read all of them. Oh, so you actually have read them. Are they yeah. as delightful and how close is it? Because that was my one hesitation doing this episode is that obviously people in the comments will be mad we didn't read the comics, which I haven't. I was just aware of them when they existed. Uh, do they hold up to the movie? Are they similar? They're they're very similar. There there's uh there's some more fantastical elements in the comics, like that that subspace that they they go into occasionally in the movie. They do a lot more of in the comics, and I think the biggest digression from the comics to the movies that uh, if there's one thing that bugs me, it's this: is that uh, Kim gets gets much more to do in the comics, or she gets more fleshed out, like the the mm. the. Mm final comic i think it's called final season or final episode or final act whatever it is the the last comic in the series scott just goes to kim's hometown and they talk about in depth his relationship to her and they give that more meat more heft more weight and they don't really do that in the movie uh which is a bummer yeah the movie to me felt like especially this time watching it recently um that Edgar Wright and a, a factoid is that he resisted directing this for six years because before this he had only directed things he'd written. And of course he worked on the screenplay for this, but if, but the idea of it being an adaptation sort of caused him to hesitate. And I feel like he must've decided to pull the trigger when he realized I can just turn this into spaced and i'm wondering if i'm wondering if in the comics it feels like spaced or if that's something that edgar wright just brought to it because i gotta say this time through i realized for the first time oh this was such a natural extension it's like the u.s high budget movie version of all the tricks he pulls in space. Like I know the Seinfeld scene is not in the comics, for example. That's something that would happen in space. And there's there's a few things like that that really made me think that might have been how he bridged it for himself conceptually, like <clears throat> adapting yeah. someone's comic. No, that that's interesting. I never made the connection of this being like an extension of space. Uh, I did feel like it was the most sensical pairing of source material to director of anything in the world. Like, you can say they're, like, Wolf of Wall Street or uh, The Departed, that source material with Martin Scorsese, sure, that makes so much sense. It's crime, it's it's betrayal, it's undercover, it's it's, uh, heavily male, that makes sense. But there's no more logical pairing than the raw materials of Scott Pilgrim and the talent and oeuvre of Edgar Wright to me. Mm. Yeah. And we've talked about, um, sort of how, or we, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't speak for Abe, but I called Ichi the killer on a recent episode, the most faithful comic book movie. And I'm immediately proven wrong. Cause this beats that as far as capturing and translating the medium of comics to the medium of film. Right. I agree with you. I think that's what makes it work, and that's why I should read the comics, because I want, I want to feel out how that match happened. But this might, for my money, be the most competent visual effects film ever. Like, I don't know how. I can't believe it still looks so good and not yeah. dated, and every effect is so woven into the visual and well-conceived. I it's- can't see how it would ever be- look bad. It looks it's such perfect. a meticulous movie. Every bit <laughs> yeah. of it, is, it, it just seems mm. like there's there's not a mm. single frame of this movie that was lazy, it's, which mm. is a, insane to me. Edgar Wright, uh, I, as I've said a few times to people who, like, when you really base it down to what makes him, like, uh, like a great Artur, uh, every director has a toolbox, like a toolkit, which they, you know, employ. Uh, and some are broader than others. Uh, he's got a fairly broad one, and it's always he's always at his best when he's dealing with choreography, pacing, 
and most notably editing proper. I mean, you can also throw into the mix a bunch of things like he's very funny. Uh, he has a great color palette choices. You know, like he he does a lot of smart like things that other yeah. directors do. But what makes him stand out in those like three different disciplines is just his absolute ability to uh, remark style in any movie and anything he touches. Uh, and it's just. I have to say that this movie, um, amongst all of his other movies, like for me, Hot Fuzz is a perfect screenplay, but this is his visual masterpiece. Yeah. I would agree I'll with say that. this. I thought Guy Ritchie really knew what he was doing until I saw an Edgar Wright movie, and I was like, never mind this. this. <laughs> yeah, especially this one. This one is like comparing the highlight reel to, you know, the the dailies of like a guy rich movie so of course like yeah. he's impeccable in what he doesn't show as well everything is so meticulous as you said daniel right there's uh, a, I w- a scene i think about all the time which is uh knives showing up at scott's apartment with uh kieran culkin what's his name what's uh, kieran culkin's character's name wallace wells wallace yes thank you so much uh when she shows up and he dives out the window, and mm-hmm. you you kind of see him, but Wallace closes the door a little bit just so you see just enough of him dive out the window so, you, so that joke mm-hmm. lands, and then you cut back to knives, and you see him casually, you see Scott casually walking away behind her. It's one of the, it's like a bit of, I don't want to say physical comedy, because it's blocking. not like, no, like that, clown yeah. stuff, but like like blocking comedy, choreographed comedy. It's a it's, it's a, absolutely visual comedy. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. It's I, like I those old farces it. where the Italian actors would run in and out of doors simultaneously. Yeah, like, but they were just here. Yeah, and it's just yeah. so elegantly done and so perfect and so funny and like. Every actor was on board, the cinematographer was on board, the editor was on board, the choreography was on board. It was just like like every single person was united in the vision mm-hmm. of the execution of this scene, and it made it perfect. And yeah, that's, that's like true. a micro so version many... of the movie itself. Yeah, a lot yeah. of movies are... Movies get by... Movies exist solely with the collaboration of so many people, and they'll get by with like... Well, maybe the art department didn't do their job in this scene, or it's not their fault, but they were rushed or whatever. But the actors are killing it, so it's fine. Edgar Wright does scenes where it literally wouldn't work unless every department right. executed so like, perfectly. So it's like showing off. You're like, a, everyone. A perfect is, example. Like they're, yeah. they're, at the time of this recording, um, Avengers Endgame just came out for like streaming right. and, and buying a couple days ago. So I've, I'm... I've rewatched it multiple times since it came out because I'm that oh guy. Boy. And uh, with it comes a whole lot of bonus features and like bloopers and outtakes and everything, and a couple of scenes that they shot that were eventually cut. And you watch these scenes that they shot that got cut, and it's like, why the fuck would you ever make that scene? These are these are movies <laughs> that are just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And it's such a tremendous contrast to Edgar Wright who. I assume it's just like, no, this is the movie that we're making, period. We're going to do this. We don't need the extra stuff that's going to get cut. We're going to make this movie. This is the vision, and we're going to execute it. And that's what I, there's, all right. So not to bring, I guess I am, so why do I say not to? But to bring in something we were talking about pre-recording, I recently had the immense pleasure of speaking with J. Todd Anderson, who's the storyboard artist for most of the Coen Brothers films. And he also works on lots of movies, you know, and he was talking about, I would love if that was his resume. It was like, Oh, Coen brothers and lots of movies and lots of movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he was just talking about how, uh, like he did the Warcraft movie, the Duncan Jones movie. And he was like, man, you know, you, you, I was like, was it fun to draw orcs instead of humans? And he's like, it's fun. It was just like that movie was so much more, uh, time because they're figuring it out it changes it evolves meaning i redraw sequences over and over and over and over with slight differences so i'll be like all right here's this orc again for the 50th time but he's sad now i guess because they changed it now his brother dies um whereas and then i was like what about the cohen brothers and he goes I think I saw one yellow page once 15 years ago. And if you're for the uninitiated, a yellow page is a revised script page on set. Meaning he is like, 
they know exactly what they're doing. They come in and they go literally like second by second, draw this. And I, he's a storyboard artist and he just draws what they say. And I feel like Edgar Wright must be very much the same because there's no, there's just no other way you could accomplish this. The one that gets me Mm -hmm. is how every single evil ex goes, Scott, Pilgrim, and it cuts to a <laughs> Western style close up of their eyes, split screen with Scott Pilgrim going, What? And <laughs> when G Man Gideon, what's his name, guy? Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> Jason Schwartzman, who is a f- the coolest, sexiest guy ever, as shown by this movie. Um, when he does it, it's, it does the exact same thing, but then he's going, Scott Pilgrim, hey, buddy. Welcome yeah. to the theater. How are you doing, man? It's I'm glad yeah. you came out. Like also, shit like that cannot be accomplished without everyone on set getting the joke. And I don't right. working at Cracked, I think like your layman underappreciates how hard it is. You're like, the AD has to get the joke. The set designer has to get the joke. Like know what this moment is doing and why. That's really hard to communicate yeah. to that many people. I think it's it's a, a tremendous hallmark of a great director if every single person involved shares the same vision as the director and they're just like, Yep, we get it. We're all on the same page. And yeah. Edgar Wright does that, I feel like uh, Jordan Peele does that, like every element of Get Out. You're just like, oh, everyone, we're every single person in every aspect of this film was on the same page. Yeah. You Michael yeah. Sarah guys? How do you feel? Huh? <laughs> I, well, Jen, my lovely lady friend, was, you know, walking in and out seeing it, and she was like, I like this movie, but Michael Sarah, I don't know. And I really like Michael Sarah. I was, so I wanted to bring it up. What are your thoughts? I do too. I think I think he's a very good actor. I think he's a really smart actor. I like the the choices that he makes. I think um, he's a character actor that like they're like people aren't writing roles for him, really. Like I don't know. Maybe Jesse Eisenberg is getting those roles, but yeah. Yeah, maybe he'll grow <laughs> up in like fifteen years and he'll he'll look different. But he's got such a specific look that he sort of has to be this awkward nerdy side character this this george michael bluth type yeah and scott pilgrim is is one of the only sensible roles for him to be a leading man because otherwise i think he should stick to being a character actor and i I don't say stick to in like any kind of derogatory sense like like it's a, Mm -hmm. a step down or anything like that i just mean that until hollywood smartens up and writes leading man parts for character actors uh he should be a character actor like second lead in a movie and this is the only sensible reason for him to be a first lead yeah he's a perfect fit for the movie yeah it is kind of an arrested development reunion though i realized this time well i i always know may whitman egg was in it a plant Mm -hmm. whatever her name is but um yeah may May whitman may whitman (laughs) but they're her But there's a, there was at least one more I noticed. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll remember it as we go through our notes. But yeah, I also like Michael Sarah a lot. I feel like, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, because it sounds like or you said you've read the comics. I feel like from the images I've seen of Scott Pilgrim flipping through, it's not even a perfect match. Like, Scott Pilgrim as drawn is not necessarily as scrawny as Michael Sarah actually no. is. But, but, uh, but I think he's perfect in it. And I do too. I, yeah. Um, Did you guys right. know? Hey, how, yeah. What next? How do we attack this thing? I mean, there's a, there's a broad strokes, just things that I want to f- hear your reactions sure. to. But I want to talk about Bill Pope. That's my big, you know, thing that I'm soapbox. Yeah. I was going to stand on today. Now who's that? But uh, before that, did you you guys knew that this is a like fairly notorious box office bomb? Yes. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. It uh, only got 15 million, uh, and it took about 90 million. Uh, to make yeah uh, it shows but it looks very cl- clean yeah. <laughs> and one of those reasons why they took such a gamble and they gave a lot of attention uh to it is you know obviously edgar wright who hadn't had at this point as crazy success in america but uh everyone knew he was like an tour, you know that's coming on scene like hot fuzz like people were considering like this is a comedy but also like i mean just look at it should we consider it for like 
Oscars. It was, you know, yeah. for visual well effects. Yes. Yeah. Va- yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of visual effects in this movie. And I want to direct you uh, to the name as of the director of photography, which is Bill Pope. Uh, and I just want to list off what else Bill Pope has done. Uh, so one of the big ones that you'll like, uh, Michael, is that in 1990, he shot Darkman. Uh, he shot Army of Darkness. Ooh. He shot Clueless. <laughs> he, cl- he shot okay. Zero Effect. Oh he my shot God. all of, oh my all God. of the Matrix. <laughs> all of the Matrix. Wow. Did he, uh, uh, did he shoot the sequel to Darkman? Darkman 2? Die, Darkman, die? Uh, no, he did not. Is that Damn. real? What? That's the real? Darkman 2? Die, Darkman, Dark Man two? die? I assume it's Daniel. There, wow. There's uh, at least three. There might be four Darkman movies. Oh, my God. I had mm-hmm. no idea. He wow. shot uh, Spider-Man 2, Team mm-hmm. America World Police. Oh, that's Spider-Man a, 3. That's impressive. Uh, Men of, and then after Scott Pilgrim, uh, Men in Black 3, World's End. Uh, With Michael Stuhlbarg from Serious Baby Man. Driver. You know, so he's, he, uh, yeah. he's like visual effects master. Um, he did also he... shot the spirit that forgotten. That movie, movie sucks so bad. <laughs> so did sucks, you... but looks good, right? Looks kind of good. It does. I got. Uh, but anyway, like, face. wait, did you that's... do you know since he shot all the matrix matrices, did he invent bullet time? Like, was it his idea? He, yeah, to... he was. Yes, yes. He's that's one of the fathers of bu- bullet time. If I'm not gonna waste time going into it, but if you look up how it works, it's such a good idea that you're like. How did they not think of that in the 1930s? You could have done this mm-hmm. at any time, and it's, it's an amazing effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's fantastic. He is, so he's working with like a fairly young Edgar Wright, you know, mm-hmm. who's uh, still like confident in his work, very good. Right. But, but like I he's kind like of was, an older it, DP who knows like, all right, you want to do this crazy new visual styling, and he was just like, yeah. I'm on board, and there's so much visual effects. So like, Ed- Edgar it's almost like a CG movie. Edgar Wright do- doesn't have like a a consistent standard DP. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the same person who shot Shaun of the Dead shot Hot Fuzz. I'm not entirely sure about that, but no, he doesn't have uh, super consistency. Wow, in I, fact, o- the only I always assume. In fact, that there Bill was Pope like- is kind of as consistent as it gets at this point. Huh. Did Bill Pope also do uh, World's End and Baby Driver? He did indeed. Okay. So he's uh, he also works with Joe Cornish a lot. He didn't uh, shoot the la- he didn't shoot the um, Attack of the Block, but he did shoot the new one, the kid who would be king. So he also shot Alita Bat- Battle Angel. So he like jumps over. He like all right, Guillermo del Toro. All right, you know, like he'll yeah. move around because that's how DPs do. He's just one of the best people that he's like a name that no one really knows. Yeah, that is one of the best craftsmen alive today in his trade, and he's one of the major reasons this film looks and feels entirely right. unique. Yeah, like entirely. No, no one you haven't seen anything like it if you haven't seen it, uh, and it has to do a lot with things like. Uh, the amount of work that is done in compositing in this, it's not just like the light flashes and like the fact that you get, um, video uh, game, like a lot of bright colors and video game. Like everyone has like crazy rim light. So they're like pushed out of the background. You mentioned moments, uh, Daniel, where we were talking about like how all the departments are working together. Sometimes it's just one department where it's like in the breakup with, uh, knives, like how her background just turns off and you're like, that is, that does not seem possible because that looked like a fully lit thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's a partly he turns off lights, like an orchestra of light, but also um, there's a lot of studio work and there's a lot of, you know, compositing that's done where they're literally etching the frame together because sometimes some things are at 24 frames per second and other things are at 120 frames per second. So it's truly a technical marvel. Uh, and that's something that people don't give a lot of credit to. They just see the final image, the sheer amount of work that went into that yeah. just from a visual, like post effect and that standpoint. it all means stuff. It has that arrested yeah. development quality where, for example, when they're fighting in chaos theater, it must've taken a lot of work visual effects wise right. to make their bodies flash red when they're in danger but that mm-hmm. also effectively blurs the mediums of the media of video games and film in right. a meaningful way. Like I love like it's not just when they get hit, 
it's that mm-hmm. he slides to the edge and grabs on and he flashes red and it, right. like your neurons it's just an amazing feeling your neurons that respond to film grammar are firing because you're like a character's hanging from a cliff ah shot of the fingers curled around the ledge danger but also if you've played a lot of video games you're like but also, he's hemorrhaging points and he's flashing red. He must be one hit away from dying. And it's, right. it's all baked in organically not, and you experience it instantaneously. And there's not a ton of CG. Obviously, there's the battle with the twins, uh, like things the Yeti like the Yeti versus the gorilla. Uh, yeah, yeah. But like, I think in, in my opinion, I think in like a few decades, we're going to look at this movie as something that is, if it's still relevant and still enjoyed... Uh, it will be something that people look to and go before CG really caught hold and every solution was just to do CG kind of like even in the more visually like aesthetic choices, not Mm -hmm. just in like transformer monsters. I'm talking about like in black Panther where there's like that sequence where things are slow and uh, speeding up in, in a battle and stuff like that. Uh, It's we're still we're doing a lot of that in camera, but we're doing more and more, and the trend is going towards CG to like kind of make it work on a compositing right. level. And I think that this film, so much of it, more than you'd expect, is in camera. Uh, and that's just something that is awesome to point out, um, in my opinion. He's just really good. I mean, he gave us bullet time. Yeah, so. and that's what I think keeps it timeless, or in the sense that, the two that stand out in my mind are Final Fantasy VII. When I first played Final Fantasy VII, I thought it was photorealistic, which is insane. It makes me wonder right. about the nature <laughs> of the human brain. But I yeah. remember loading up the cutscenes and going, oh, we've reached the pinnacle of computer-generated graphics. Wow. They nailed it. That's what arms look like. <laughs> yeah. His arms <laughs> look like huge arms. Huge bulbs. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Harry Potter won. And specifically when they're in the bathroom fighting the ogre to save Hermione and the ogre and Harry gets on the ogre's head and sticks a wand up its nose or whatever. And the ogre's thrashing around and Harry jarringly becomes a CG blob that's like swirling around and then turns back into an actor. Um, I, I mean, I have not seen that. I'll have to take your word for it. I've still yeah, not it's seen true. any of the it's Harry true. Potters. Shout out People to Star who is mad at me. Oh, yeah. Well, she's a vicious, brutal person. So that's just, you know, we all know that about Star. <laughs> but uh, they call her Shooting Star because she's murdered so many people. Um, but uh, I can't, and I wonder if I'm being fooled again, but this movie's nine years old at this point. The graphics are so smart because they're not going, look, make a fake Harry Potter, full body, photorealistic with hair and cloth. And you're like, well, only Pixar really is able to do that and fool the eye at this point. Um, Oh, well, do it anyway. And in 10 years, when we look back on it, we'll be like, oh, well, that effect is dated. Am I wrong? I I feel like Scott Pilgrim's graphics will not become dated because they're more abstract. No, because it's not really CG. And it's it's mocking his style. That's the other thing is that it's a stylistic approach that is born out of, like, the content. It feels like it should be a comic book or it feels like a video game, like you were saying. So it's mimicking something as opposed to trying to pass the eyes of, like, this thing that clearly isn't real, we're trying to make photorealistic. It's, it is photorealistic. It just has times and flourishes where it jumps into 8-bit, like the opener for like the universal. Like It kind of from the get-go, it does things in a way that you're going like, this is not a very typical movie. They're going to just play with yeah. like reality. It's all elaborate metaphor. No one's actually doing fighting. It's like, you know, it's even though it... And the other thing that... Um, uh, Edgar Wright says is the way he conceived of this movie is that he thought of it like a, a musical instead of when they dance they would fight. Right. That 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 comes across very clearly. That very yeah. much scans. Yeah. I, I'm so, okay. So we haven't even gotten into uh, what the movie's about because it is, and I think that speaks to something. It kind of is more of a technical achievement and i'm not just talking graphics i include on the acting level editing definitely all these things but um i don't 
I didn't find okay I've said this like 20 times on various podcasts I read Catcher in the Rye when I was like 23 and I was like I already know I all this it. this is stupid I get a job this would have been amazing when I was 16 but I know all this shit already therefore I'm bored uh this do you care about the story of Scott Pilgrim I do so uh, me me personally because oh, like uh, sorry, it's just, it's a big argument on the internet that, and I'm not including the comics, because from what I understand for researching for this, the comics go into much greater detail about how Scott starts as a bad guy, and I accept, like, this kind of story I can get. Scott starts as a bad guy, so we have to go in depth with, like you said, Daniel Kim, and find out how that affects her, so that, he, and, in, and then by the end, he learns truly and in a deep meditative and like way that spends enough time on it why that was wrong how to do things right how it reflected a selfish outlook and etc cetera, etc cetera. whereas the movie more has kind of a vibe of for 98 percent of the time he treats women as sex objects to be won as a prize through fighting other dudes mm-hmm. and then at the very end because it's a movie and it's shorter he goes oh I shit yeah. i'm wrong uh, I cheated on you. I'm sorry. I should have manned up and apologized from day one. And they immediately go, And okay. they're like, you yeah. learned your lesson. Good job. But I'm like, four minutes ago, he was the dick guy. <laughs> that. Yeah. So the, that's why I feel like whenever I talk about this movie with people that love it, we always end up gravitating towards the technical aspects. And I'm just wondering, is the story good? Like, if the, cra- no. if uh, the effects I, I were not that is. good? Okay. okay. I, I mean, I kind of... I kind of think it is, uh, but um, I'm also wrong about most things, so I'm open to that being the case. Uh, I'd always rather I don't, hear I don't from think someone the, who I don't likes think the story is, is particularly <laughs> important, and I don't say that because I, I love the visual effects so much. I just mean that the story at its core is a, a very old story. It's two people who meet each other, and they both have baggage, and they're trying to navigate each other's baggage to find connection and communication with each other. And that's the simplest thing in the world. It's happened to anyone who has ever been in a relationship in the history of the world, period. And this comic and then subsequent movie dramatize it with this video game comic book framework uh, mm-hmm. because you just want to blow it out as much as you can. But it's still, at its core, that essential story is like, I have baggage, I have baggage too. We're, we mm-hmm. we need to fight to yeah. to if if we want this thing to work this thing between us if we want it to work there's going to be a lot of fights and there's going to be drama and at the end of the day we're gonna go through it and communicate with each other yeah which yeah. is like I like mean it's not a story I think that's clear. It's, it's not a story in terms of like A B C and in terms of like inciting incident something else climax whatever but it's a it's a story in terms of like we want these people to be together i don't think it's true love i don't think they'll be together forever but it's going to be uh the next step in both of their relationships going forward and here's all the things that they need to deal with to get to the part where you can say okay now i'm present and i'm comfortable and i'm with Mm. you and I've matured I'd say that's one notch. True. Yeah. I'd say that's true. I have yeah. different, slightly different reasons for why I don't really like the story of this. And it might just be my hang-up. I could be totally wrong about this. But I, I've never gotten, I've never seen the charm of, and in fact, it usually kind of is a repulsion for me, uh, the idea of, like, it's also very twee. Uh, and I don't just mean about, like, what they're wearing. I mean, like, it's got this mumblecore attitude where the people are like, like, for example... Uh, I think I made like a jack off motion at the screen uh, when he did his like what's the first password and he's like whatever and then what's the second password sigh you know yeah. and it, and it, they both work and I'm like I get it there's some people who lo- like think that that's funny I I'm I, it's very possible I just don't have a good sense of humor in that regard but mm-hmm. like to me it, that makes uh, a like unlikable characters like people who are like that in real life bother me a little sure. bit so mm-hmm. i i found them unlikable and i i would always i couldn't help myself but anytime that there was a concrete like conflict between characters the res- resolution and the way the tactics in which they tried to employ their 
getting what they want and stuff like that were so like otherworldly to me that it feels like I can never truly get my grasp on what the problem is or what's going on and right. why they're doing what they're doing because it's uh, it's it doesn't feel right to me. Uh, now, obviously, they're characters in the in not just in literal characters, but I mean, they're like doing caricatures, they're versions and archetypes of people in a but pretty it still abstract just world. Me. Yeah, because yeah. like I would wonder. I mean. I still find myself wondering, do the people who get turned to coins, are they really dead? Does their family grieve for them? Are they gone from this world forever? Right. And that doesn't, you're not, it's that's not, it's, it's an be. abstraction. You can't really play that game with this world. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't say, think they are. I don't uh -huh. think anyone's dead. I think the, like every fight is a metaphor for a new couple, both of which have, both of whom have baggage getting together. Yeah, like it's an avatar of the joint right. collaboration in like this null space of two right. people and if what I they start, think their relationship is. If I start dating someone, I don't have to fight her ex-boyfriends and I don't think the movie and manga uh, are arguing that I, that I do. I think what they're saying is you do need to grapple with the past and the baggage of the person that you're, your partner and they need to grapple with your own baggage. Right, so and you I can't can help yourself compare yourself to them. If yeah. right, I get that. So like Matthew Patel coming in could have been he's not physically there. It's Scott reckoning with that part of her past. But at the end, at least in the film, I haven't read the comics. G-Man is physically real and like signs contracts and puts a chip in her brain and shit. And when he stabs G-Man, G-Man disappears and that company ceases to exist, like the, the company that he ran. So that's, he murdered that man, right? Or <laughs> that man was a real man no, and he's gone here's now? No, here, here's what I, the way I that I conceived no. of it, I think no too, and the way I conceive of it that, that made it simple for me is just every time there's a fight, just replace that with like you're at a party and you meet Chris or like you go to a shoot and you meet Chris Evans and there's a conversation that happens. And it, that's the, the minefield and the battlefield in the head of Scott is mm. essentially what you're witnessing as a metaphor yeah. kind of visual representation yeah, of that. that. No one's murdering each other. He's just gamifying it because that's how his brain is abstracting it. And it's certainly yeah. uh, to use a, phrase that is or to use a word that is is completely overused it's certainly problematic it's absolutely problematic to yeah. to to frame communication and learning and growth through fighting and and violence that's like the the strongest criticism against this narrative yeah. <laughs> obviously is that uh he scott achieves growth through physically defeating her ex-boyfriends that's bad and problematic and that he starts, I mean, his starting situation is everyone's ragging on him because he hasn't committed statutory rape yet. <laughs> or like asking if yeah. he's committed statutory rape yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's but also problematic if, if we want so to get it into a, it. I, like, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say actually a fun fact, or I don't know, a fact about the making of is that, <coughs> pardon they uh, did Scott of Pilgrim's Game of Thrones style, meaning they made the film after the comic premiered, but before the comic wrapped up. And literally during filming, Brian Lee O'Malley, the writer and artist of the comic, started out thinking that Scott would be alone at the end. And personally, I would have been fine with that ending, because like you said, Daniel, even if he gets Ramona, I don't think this is like they're going to get married, per se. No. I feel like... This is a story of young people learning to grow up a little bit. So if he ended up alone but learned a lesson, I would have been fine with that. I'm also fine with him getting Ramona. Um, but by the end of the series, Brian Lee O'Malley was like, I like Scott. I like Ramona. I can't resist. I want them to get together. So while that's happening, they shot this movie thinking that he would end up with knives. And I feel like you can tell. There are scenes that give away like we're building towards... Knives being the one who uh, becomes his second player, like teaches him how to respect other people. Uh, Ramona is too cool for him, so she can just go she, off into the yeah. atmosphere. She is an immensely more interesting arc than both of the yeah. main characters. And that's I was gonna the thing is, I was gonna bring that one up of the only things, 
Oh, go, sorry. I just want to finish the factoid is one of okay. the only things that I think is a flaw in the film and it's, it's like can't be undone and it does hurt me. Edgar Wright directed the actress who played Ramona Flowers to be flat, to have flat affect because he knew it would be hard to make the audience want Knives and Scott to end up together, but that's what he wanted as the twist. So he was like, don't be too human. Be pretty flat and dull and emotionless so that it's okay when you're like, well, I guess I could never understand that girl. She's just going to go. Um, and then when the comic changed the ending, he changed the ending to match. And I do think it's weird because the whole time, it's very Knives weird. is yeah. so much more appealing and enjoyable to me as a human being than Ramona is because of her acting style that at the end when he goes, and I finally ended up with Ramona, I'm like, so <laughs> who cares? Mm. That's, that's good. I was going to bring that up only because when you first saw the movie, I remember when we talked about this, you said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase you cause I don't remember exactly yeah. what you said, but you said some version of, I think Scott chose wrong. I think he should have ended up with knives. Like that was your reaction to the movie. And I'm glad that you, yeah stuck with that all these years later, these nine years later. Uh, I know I'm implicitly endorsing statutory rape, but I just got to say, from a structuralist standpoint, yes, commit that statutory rape, Scott Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, also, uh, I just want to say, while we're on knives, I don't think I've ever seen an actor better able to capture the idea of something that is not real. She acts exactly like a manga. Like that actress's ability to do the eyes and the body motions, like suddenly changing body positions in the way that an anime character does are phenomenal. It's amazing. Yeah. She yeah. looks like a comic yeah. book all the time. Shout That's out so to hard. Alan Wong. Yeah. She is yeah. she is perfect. Is she working right now? Is she doing stuff? Because she if there if there was one like star turn in that movie, it was her, and I hope Definitely. that she's working. Is she? Is she doing anything? Is she? She's still doing TV and stuff like that. She's on a show called Dark Matter. Uh, I think it ended actually, but mm. um, like she's worked in sci-fi and stuff like that. She doesn't have a. She's in Glow, uh, the TV show. Oh yeah, yeah. Glow, Glow, Glow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, she hasn't really taken off. She's been in a few movies. She was in the Dave Eggers film with uh, Emma Watson. The Circle. Uh, the Circle, yeah, and stuff like that. Well, she's fantastic. She's yeah, good. she's very good. In this <laughs> yeah. film. Bread makes you fat. Yeah. Sorry, I'm scrolling through my notes. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, Karen Culkin. Uh, Bre- of course, did you also. did you say yeah. bread makes you fat? Yeah, yeah. Bread makes that's, you fat. That's that's, <laughs> that's one a great of those, joke. That's one of those things that I quote alone in my apartment. It's the thing that I say all the time. It's just like like <laughs> makes yeah. you fat. Like an iconic movie line for no reason. It's not Luke. Yeah, it's a I am your father. Yeah. It's just like one of those things that just like I, that I just say anytime I look at bread. Say bread yeah. makes you fat. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, it's a I great also one. think, speaking of just the humor of um, the humor of Edgar Wright, uh, some of my favorite visual jokes are the fucking vegan police. <laughs> oh the my god, police. they're fucking high five. <laughs> the That's high the other five? one. Yeah, <laughs> Thomas Jane from Arrested Development. <laughs> also, I love when uh, they bust in uh, and they're like talking about the half and half. The lasers pointed at Todd's chest. They make boobs on because <laughs> oh, okay. like the, it's like a pinpoint and then has a, like a larger circle, mm-hmm. and that's like what their guns, which are also just their hands. Yeah, so it just yeah. nothing, nothing makes sense. It's just one of those things where. Uh, he's so good at that. He also does it in that sequence again where, uh, what's his name, Brandon Routh, the, the, yeah, yeah. the small man, Smallville Ruth. Spider-Man, uh, Ruth. Sp- uh, Superman. He is, Ruth, he is, he is, he is not Smallville. He's, uh, he, oh, uh, what is he? Uh, piece of shit, uh, Brian Singer's Returns. Superman. Yeah. Oh, he's Brian Singer's Superman. And he, okay. when he does this character's voice, Todd Ingram's voice, he sounds so much like Paul Rudd. I Googled forever to figure out if Paul Rudd did a voiceover, like a dub for it, but it's not, they oh, just sound weird. the same. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Abe. It's weird to Google forever. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like when he is like floating and he has his full vegan powers and his eyes are white and his his hair and all that stuff, uh, and it's like he threw Scott through a bunch of walls oh. and then ta- and then camera pans over to a door, which is another funny joke, kind of akin to uh, when you think about like hot fuzz, like the Cornetto tri- trilogy, like jumping over stuff as a deal. Like yeah. he has free access because he just made a hole in the wall pan over to a door and then immediately he's teleported to he's opening the door and he's like hello i'm here now right. like so it's it's twofold it's one it's it's a funny joke because it's like ah the expectation is he's got like teleportation power powers and it keeps the rhythm and the pacing of the film very quick but in addition to that it's also a joke about why what is he using the door right he, he doesn't have to use the door that's a silly thing for a superhero to do so it's just those little subtle hints that they're not hilarious jokes, but they just are in every scene yeah. that give you what I would say the tone of Edgar Wright's like movies, you know, like it's entirely his own. Yeah. Dan, did you know all the voiceovers are Bill Hader? <laughs> I didn't actually. That's, no, that's yeah. I, I heard it and I was like, like, "Who is that?" All the voiceovers. So, so when they're when they're like, "Meanwhile at the at the rocket yep. or whatever," that's and Bill Hader. Scott earned the power of self-respect and shit like that. Man, that's all it's Bill Hader. Like Bill Bill Hader. <laughs> I mean, he deserves it. But what a blessed life that it seems like every yes. genius in comedy was like, "Hey, Bill, can do you want to come and be a part of this?" Like he's written for that's South what, Park, and he just yeah. shows up everywhere. I know he's a nice that, guy. I had the same thought as like, how did he's connected to so many other crews that are not connected to each other? How does he know this, these motherfuckers? How did this happen? <laughs> but yeah, but he's great. Oh, the Ninja game. That's a parody of Dance Dance Revolution. Everything's so yeah. well thought out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want a little. I, go ahead. You go. No, 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 you no, because I'm gonna I'm gonna do like an ab- abrupt topic change. So if you if you have something, that's fun. I also was going. Oh, okay. I, I I just like there's little trivia facts that make this like people little Easter eggs that people never noticed that I noticed this time watching. Yeah, if and I people see have, if you guys noticed at this point, if people haven't seen it, I just want to say this, and then I think we should wrap up with our favorite Easter eggs. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a movie about teen angst and dating, with. Uh, the most Easter eggs crammed in per square inch, uh, that uh, more than any other film, as many Certainly. as humanly we've, possible. We've not recapped it at all. No, we've and not I don't think we need to, to anyone what this movie is about. Exactly, and that's what I'm realizing. But I think all you really need to say is that it's a high school dating movie. But why people like it is, it it's has not a high, I, every I, frame I, I has thirty Easter you, eggs. Or, or okay, sorry, not correct you, but disagree with you. Uh, it's not a high school dating movie. I feel Coming strongly about this point that this is uh, mid twenties. Like, like Scott College Pilgrim was was kind of very helpful to me to reflect on me as a twenty two and twenty three year old to realize, oh, I was an asshole for a couple of years. Which oh, is okay, but it's a growing up. It's a hey, let's all grow up a yes, little bit yeah. movie, which and, I don't think uh, happens in high school. But I think if, you, if you're like listening to this, deciding whether to watch it, the reason to watch it would be it's like every frame has a thousand references to video games and comic books in the frame. And you can watch it 50 times and still sure. decode like, oh, shit, in that frame, there's this in the background. That in the frame and in, in the, the that. soundscape, someone will do something and it's like, oh, that's from Zelda. That's from Mario. That's from Sonic. Like the, like all yeah, the sound Apparently one too. of the bass lines he plays is from Final Fan is the Final Fantasy two menu theme. And I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ, guys. Also, Beck wrote <laughs> all of the sex bombs music. No, he didn't write all. Of, he didn't write all of them. He they're, wrote Ramona, and he wrote all the music for what they play on stage. Ramona, no, they're, they're, the two they, chord they, song. They, uh, you used a bunch of different bands to play different to record different songs for them to do. No, oh, different... right. But I think Beck oh. wrote it. Uh, there's yeah. Metric plays like other like um, right. the Clash at Demon Head and stuff yeah. like that, which is you yeah. Know, Brie Larson's I think it's band. a band to band ratio. Like Beck yes. played yes. the Bob Bombs. The Metric mm-hmm. played the Clash at Demon Head. The boys. Uh, who are the boys? I can't remember. Anyway, I also saw yeah. that IMDb factoid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, who has a radical subject change into Easter egg territory, probably. 
I don't have well, any think, Easter, uh, Easter egg territory at all. Well, yeah, you go, whatever, you go, Daniel. It's, fine. Uh, it's a thing that I feel like we need to bring up, and it's especially difficult to bring up because we are three white males, and it's very white, s- yeah. straight. Uh, and I feel like uh, Edgar Wright, as great as he is, as much as I love him as a filmmaker, uh, I don't think anyone could say that Edgar Wright has ever written a great female character. And this is certainly no exception. And on the one hand, your argument is like, and this is an argument that I've had for myself for my own writing is like, well, I don't, I don't really know how to write women. So I mostly write comedy that is like three guys hanging out, talking to each other or like Mm -hmm. agents of cracked two guys hanging out, talking to each other. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Which is what I think, what I assume Edgar Wright is doing, which is like, I'm going to write what I know. And what I know is, guy hangout comedy stuff right uh, right which uh, underserves women tremendously that's the thing that you can point to in all of his work mm-hmm. i don't think he's a sexist i just don't i just think he doesn't necessarily it's just not a focus for him like, to, he's not yeah, pushing it's not a focus himself for him. yeah like, like writing yeah. like strong female characters you can look at any movie that he's done and there there's there's none where it's like oh my god we love Rosamund Pike in World's End. We don't. She shows up to be sure. lusted after, She's, and yeah. and then shows and then gets sidelined for an hour, and then shows and up again to, to to save the day. Even in and space, in, Daisy and Simon Pegg are essentially just two gender neutral funny people. One happens to be a man and a woman. Like <coughs> that it doesn't wasn't really written matter. by Edgar Wright, though. Oh yeah, right. By Jessica Hines and Simon Pegg. Yeah. Well, I still then, feel that way. The jokes in space are thoroughly gender neutral. It's like Simon Pegg or Jessica Hines could say each other's mm-hmm. lines, and it wouldn't matter. Right. And then in Scott Pilgrim, you could look at, like, let's talk about the the women in this movie now you've got ramona who is sort of i mean she's certainly badass but she's mostly existed to be lusted after for no clear reason it's one of those cases people where people talk about her as more than soon she talks as about scott it, yeah. sees her he has decided he's in love with her and we Do you know the girl with hair like this that's the right thing yeah uh, <laughs> yes that's ramona flowers the other women we've got Knives, who was another like sex object. She has, I would argue, the most depth of any woman in the movie. Yeah. And the rest are just like Aubrey Plaza is nagging and mad. And you've got Kim, who is mostly angry throughout this movie, like she, she, because she loses the depth that she had in the comics. And you've got Anna Kendrick, who is also bizarrely sidelined as the sister character who just pops up every once in a while to again scold Scott Pilgrim for things mm-hmm. that he's done wrong and you know who am I missing what other female characters are in this movie Envy who is just like that chick who cheated on me you know uh, I, oh, I would yeah. say like, that again the, like uh, uh, yeah. yeah she's another character where it's like this, she's, she's bad like her, her main yeah, thing is bad woman the one that actually I think is damning is Ramona because it seems it does feel missing. By the end of the movie, I still I felt like we don't understand Ramona or her motivations or what she's like really, and I yeah. don't think it was because she's inherently mysterious. It's like we didn't take the time to do that. No. And that is a scripting thing. It's, you know, I agree with right. you. And I did find it like like you said problematic and at the same time like well i'm not really even here for that i'm here for this and this is firing in all all cylinders but right um the problematic stuff is it feels not so much like oh my god or like when abe and i rewatched 40 year old virgin with jamie loftus for the show we were like holy shit ideas about women really used to be backwards only 10 12 years ago (laughs) when i watch scott pilgrim i just feel like edgar wright doesn't want to investigate uniquely female topics because he feels unsuited to do that. And so he just abdicates it. And that's also not great, but it's not as bad as being a misogynist or whatever. Right, yeah. It's not it's great. Somewhere like, in the middle. That's, that's why I want to talk to you about it is because like, like in my own writing, I don't understand because I've, uh, I have plenty of friends who are women who have told me you do not know how to write women. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> And and that's why I mostly don't. That's why I mostly write things that are that are 
male buddies hanging out. Uh, yeah. And that's, I pose that question to you, like, is it, should I learn to write women better or should I stick to writing? Always be learning, what I, Daniel. Should I stick to Always writing what I know? Learning. Like, because it, it feels like it would be disingenuous if I wrote. I think a, com- a good way a com- to do a comedy with three women in it. Like I, I couldn't. <clears throat> I don't feel yeah confident. Doing that's that. the other end of the pole, and all I know is like I feel like we're going through this right now as a group, comedians and writers. And I also don't know, and I completely <laughs> see both sides because if someone said, right, like you can't write Moonlight. You're not, you're a, you're not gay and you're not black. Get your hands off the Moonlight screenplay, you monster. <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, sure, sure, sure. But the other end of the spectrum is uh, Daniel Kaluuya can't play the guy and get out. He's British, uh, which Samuel L. Jackson actually gave him shit for on Twitter. He's like, it should be an American and, you know, an African American. Really? And yeah and i'm like okay well i because he's like well the a british black person doesn't have the same relationship to all the issues get out is dealing with and i'm like i see that but also this is all built on pretending so i don't like peter pan is always played by a woman you know on stage i don't mm-hmm. understand because of course the other end would be everything is only documentaries we, like you have to be what you are that's let's all just be honest now and i still feel like no 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 there has to be room for pretending and opening your mind to embody other people's points of views because that's the whole fucking point yeah and yet there's systemic racism and misogyny everywhere mm. i have no idea what the appropriate response is no as a writer because right, i think we, we both want to keep writing yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we it's should. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're the only, uh, you know, I kind of more or less agree with everything that you guys have said. Obviously, everyone needs to always be learning at all times because if you're not learning, you're dying. But um, that said, I think there's something to uh, just reading a lot more women's lit in general. And then all... Uh, like if you have the opportunity, I, I always like to jump at the idea of co-writing with women, especially mm-hmm. if there's female characters in any of my work, just because if you don't, uh, you're losing a whole interesting part of the conversation, a new way to be funny, a new way to be interesting. Yeah. Um, but those are all, you know, band-aids on frankly, a cultural bullet. Yeah. Board. Just as someone yeah. who also like will write a sci-fi story about a space, uh, like a gay space elf undergoing, laser eye surgery for example <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm like right but if the story's like the big sick you know do you have to find someone who's undergone a terminal illness and been in a coma and is a woman and has brown hair and is five foot nine to write it it is hard to feel out obviously i went too far to make my point but it's right. an interesting process to feel out how much should you have literally experienced this if you're going to write about it yeah, I yeah. think you can always, I think with a little thought and empathy, you can always figure out what where the line is, you know? Well, right. I'm not willing second, to do that. Yeah, but uh, the, it's, yeah, I don't know. There, the, There is a lot of solutions and there's n- no solution. And we're going to have to be okay with that uh, lack of security in that mm-hmm. answer as, you know, being on the top of the food chain for so long in terms of movie making uh everyone can write white men's stories why because that's all they see it's generically so. accessible to everyone <laughs> yeah exactly so there's that there's that there's always that yeah, yeah. all right you wanna do uh you want to do some fun easter eggies we should yeah yeah before before we end this because i think some people will like just the amount of uh like detail that they went in and I'm sure everyone found a lot of the stuff uh, themselves and it's not to me this isn't about references this is just little like ah ah, choice this is like perfectly Mm -hmm. elucidates what's going on and they did it in a subtle way for example stuff like um, uh, after Ramona explains uh, like dating the defeating the evil exes aspect everything out of focus behind Ramona there's this thing called a bokeh in camera terms which is uh, like when out of focus lights look like circles, yeah, people have seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you can actually adjust things in camera by making like a mat and putting it in the right spot where you can actually custom make those bokeh. So everything out of focus behind Roma is X's mm-hmm. while everything behind Scott is hearts. Cause this is Scott, this is a scene about well, of lopsided lo- love interest at this point. Yeah. So literally the lens yeah. flares in part meaning. And then in the same way in that, that mm-hmm, go ahead. Well, just at the, the final moment being that at the end of that scene in the bus, uh, she accepts, and agrees that they're officially dating her backgrounds uh those bokas are now hearts yeah so it's just like one of those things where it's like they really thought about this kind of shit they thought about every uh, goddamn second when brandon yeah, ralph's just name like, pops up in the credits there's three x's that appear for one frame each just because he's the third evil x uh right the x's is a thing all throughout i'm always trying mm-hmm. to find because it increases from one to seven I haven't found the 5X or the 6X, but I finally found the 4X when he's in the diner holding a Coke Zero can to his head after fighting Anne from Arrested Development. He, uh, basic, uh, oh, oh, there's like tile work in the background and that's the 4Xs. But apparently there is, you know, an X that foreshadows each of the fights. And I, I get, yeah. I have not been able to find the 5, 6, or 7 because it just gets too. It's one of those movies where there's so many Easter eggs, you can actually be like, is that an Easter egg? No, that's just that's just a book on the shelf in the background. That's not an Easter egg. But it's hard yeah. not to imagine everything is. I do. Well, there are some stuff. Like, it's just little touches. Like, for example, when Scott is growing bored of uh, knives and mm-hmm. there's a montage where they're doing the same exact date, but he's just not into it. Uh, when they're in the record, the, the record store... Uh, he stands between sadcore and gloom rock. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whereas I, before yeah. it was all, yeah, it's just stuff like that where they're just like, all right, bring that in. Why, also never why would they do that? It literally whips through frame. You can't, you have to freeze it in order to read yeah. any of this stuff. That's it's just, why wow. it's a rewatchable movie. Like it's definitely, yeah. I could watch it. I feel like it's a movie designed to be watched five times. Yeah. Um, the one I noticed this time was that, of course I noticed that, during every fight, there's at least one point where it does the classic side-scrolling shot a la Mortal Kombat. Um, but what I noticed this time is that every time during that shot, Wallace always ends up saying some line that involves the word fight. Like, you should probably fight that guy. Oh, that's the, yeah. that's the guy you need to fight. And then when he's going to fight Gideon, he goes, what a perfect asshole. I take back everything I said finish him so wallace is the announcer from mortal kombat from the mortal yes. kombat yeah. universe yeah, exactly. which i didn't notice until this time what, what do we what do we feel the, about the i'll movie? tell you this i think it's fitting based on what the movie is because i this movie has a, a place in my heart but it's a weird place because of the level of technical perfection you saying that it was meant to be a musical makes me understand it more because it always had a place in my heart but it's a it's a distant place. It doesn't feel like a real world to me. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be a real world. Whereas even though Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are also very fake worlds, I felt like love and caring for particular people in those worlds. And with Scott Pilgrim, I do feel like I'm watching Cirque du Soleil or just like a bunch of talented people showing off everything they can do. And that's good too. And I think that's why this conversation took the shape of like just appreciating the different visual aspects more than recapping the story. Because like we said, the story is like a good version of the OC or something, but but with fighting and video game references. What really what it's all about is look at the miracle that happened in terms of collaboration on this film look how every department showed up and tried their best on the same day in order to get this to happen that rarely happens it can it is both flawed and impressive yeah all right well i know better than to ask dan to plug stuff because he's just really nice and says something nice about us and i hate that so (laughs) (laughs) i think we'll just wrap up uh i love you dudes this was fun i always love talking to you Um, that's very sweet actually i won't i will leave you a little window just in case let's say not not plugs but like I don't know anything you're excited about. You got another fishing trip. What's coming up, Dan? Yeah, what's what, what's what's up in your world? Here's what I'm excited about, and it's it's 
I'm very late to the game, uh, but there's this show called Fleabag that is on Amazon, and it's so fucking good, I can't even stand it. It's two seasons, every episode is 30 minutes long, and they're uh, six episodes to both seasons, so it's just 12 episodes total, and it's so good. Yeah. It's one of the best things I've seen in the last... That's great to hear. You're like the best person to say Please that watch to me, it. so yeah, I will. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's I, the thing I'm plugging. We're watch muscling Fleabag. our way through <laughs> Handmaid's Tale Give first. Amazon. <laughs> Give them the money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> Cool. Abers. Yeah. What's up? What's up? <laughs> just, right. you know, just just chilling, dude. Just chilling. All I right. miss you. I miss you. I miss you, dude. But I'll see you on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> Good until end of next the time. That's yeah. an episode of We Rated This Frame. That. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!